of the wall, now moving to really a reestablishing of the people of Israel as a nation. So this song that was titled Start Over, I just thought that fit so good. And as we'll see here in the text, I think it really embodies probably how the people were feeling here after they heard the, the word of the Lord. But then how also, as the leaders tell them to wipe their eyes and lift up their heads and rejoice, that is what we are called to today. The Old Testament, including this section of Nehemiah, foreshadows Jesus Christ coming to give us full redemption. And that's why we rejoice today. That's why I've entitled the message, Rejoicing in Redemption. I'm going to go ahead and pray over our time, and then we're going to jump in, starting in verse 9 of Nehemiah 8. Thank you, Lord, so much that we can come together as your church, that we can worship you, that we can grow together, spur one another on to you, Lord. I pray you to speak to us through this text, continue to sanctify us, Lord. I pray you be glorified in us and through us, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. And remember, Kelsey said that the people over a span of five to six hours were listening to the word. So where we come today is most likely late in the afternoon. They've heard the law read. They were captivated by it. As we heard last week, they were compelled by it, and they were committed to understanding it. And verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So the people here obviously were broken. As the word was read, they were undone. They thought about not only their own sins, but I'm sure the sins of their parents and grandparents, the rebellion that caused them to go into captivity in the first place, their blatant, ongoing disobedience. And God, since he is just to keep his promises, did what he said he was going to do and sent them away. But now he has brought them back. But they are so most self-condemned at this point as we start the passage, they don't know where to turn. They're mourning they're weeping. And let's understand that it's right, it's correct that they are broken as they hear the word of God, as we should be as well. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word was doing its work here, bringing that mourning but see, the leaders had to step in here because the people were continuing to mourn. They were revealing that they were really fixated on themselves. They were doing nothing but looking inward in self-condemnation. But Nehemiah has to tell them, guys, do not mourn or weep. 
No, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So what's going on here? Is he telling, well, just forget about all those things. No, not at all. He's saying, yes, you're right. You're depraved sinners. You are broken, rebellious people. But the entire reason they were brought together for this day to hear the word of God and then to have this feast together is to celebrate that because of the work of God alone, he was calling them back into relationship with himself. He was renewing that fellowship. Celebrate for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm sure some of them were thinking at this point, as we're probably thinking too, well, wait a second, they can't, what do they really have to celebrate? Shouldn't they have to go through a 10-step program first to clean themselves up, to make sure that they earn the right to even go and, and eat and drink and celebrate like this? What about repentance? We'll see moving forward in the next chapter that repentance is a priority and that will indeed happen. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this about repentance. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So see, where they were starting here perhaps in a worldly grief in and of themselves, the leaders were telling them, no, this is good. This is a godly grief that he is creating in you. And that actually a century and a half earlier, the prophet Ezekiel had prophesied that he would begin to regenerate the hearts of his people. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that I will take away their heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh. Meaning that when the word of God is read, when I call my people back to renew this relationship, they will be broken and understand their need for me. And therefore they will praise and worship me and not themselves. We need to understand, both for the people here in Nehemiah and for us today, the ongoing conviction of sin as the Holy Spirit roots out, even for most of us here who are believers and are justified by faith alone and grace alone, the Holy Spirit still is rooting out sin in our lives. Or at least he should be. If he's not, I may question whether or not you were truly in Christ. We have to understand that the ongoing conviction of sin and then ongoing repentance that needs to flow out as a fruit from that are actually both gifts of God as he is working in our hearts so that we understand our need and are compelled to turn from sin. The definition of redemption, as this week I just Googled it, and what's the first thing that came up? Redemption says the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment or a clearing of a debt. Tim Keller, author and pastor, says the only way to gain true spiritual riches is by declaring spiritual bankruptcy. And that's what we're seeing in this passage today. As the people are condemned to start off in their sin, the leaders say, no, turn your eyes to God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He has brought you back into relationship here. And therefore, when they go to celebrate, to eat 
the food and to drink the sweet wine. That's not just a celebration, but it is worship. If you go to parts in Deuteronomy, when it says that they will go and eat food and drink sweet wine and send portions to those who do not have any, all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, that is an act of worship. That's what's going on here. So in the question today, of course, is for those of us who have believed on Jesus Christ, which is most of us, not all of us here, why is it that some of us seem to have this joy, this rejoicing in our redemption that is overflowing in our relationships, overflowing as we walk with God each day, and some of us perhaps don't. And if you're like me, it's probably depending on the day. So why is it? I know in my heart, I know from the word of God that I'm justified by Jesus Christ, but why is it that we continue to not daily have this joy and this rejoicing that rolls up in glory to God? Matt Chandler in his book, Recovering Redemption, says there's four avenues where even for those of us who are believers, we still, for some reason, seek to find redemption, true fulfillment, joy, and freedom outside of Christ. The first reason he brings up is we look to ourselves for ongoing redemption. Self-esteem, self-improvement, self-help, all of these things dominate the bookstores, social media, anywhere you look. Discover your best life now. Five-minute abs. Now I don't have time for that, John. Two-minute abs. That's what dominates. And don't get me wrong here. We are commanded in Scripture to take care of our bodies because they are the temple of the Lord where the Holy Spirit dwells, right? So that's a good thing. But see, the more and more we're saturated by us, 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 ourselves, the message is look inside of yourself for ongoing redemption. Look inside of yourself for true freedom and purpose and fulfillment. That's where it's going to be found. But we cannot and will not find redemption within ourselves. The second place we look to find redemption is in others. Maybe we look to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a spouse, a friend, a parent, could be a myriad of different people we look to. And most of these are God-given relationships he has blessed us with. But yet, see, we are setting up unrealistic expectations for those people in our lives and thereby sabotaging those relationships. You can argue with me if you want on this one after we're done, but husbands make terrible gods. Wives make terrible gods. Children I think we know, as much as we may idolize them, make terrible gods. And if we are seeking them for our redemption and our true purpose and fulfillment, not only are we going to be drugged down and not have joy in our day, but we're going to sabotage those relationships as well. That God has given us as blessings to be enjoyed in their context. Others cannot redeem us. The third place we seek redemption is in the world. We can take the good things that God has blessed us with, our possessions, our hobbies, our work, our interests, and we can make idols out of them, obviously. We look to them solely 
for our joy, our satisfaction, for that fleeting feeling of freedom. But that feeling, that high, never lasts. We can end up destroying both ourselves and those in our lives by endlessly pursuing these idols, by making them our identity. And another way we can seek redemption in the world is by taking the good blessings that God has given us in in food, in drink, in sex, among other things, and warping them, abusing them. Instead of enjoying them in the joyful, responsible context God has laid out for us, we instead twist them. And instead of finding that freedom and that joy we are looking for, we do nothing but create a vicious cycle of bondage, of guilt and shame and regret that in fact leads us right back to those things that created that guilt, that regret. It's a vicious cycle. The world cannot and will not redeem us. Number four, and lastly, we seek redemption in religion. And by this, I'm talking about any type of legalistic system that we set up that is based on some concept of scales where if we do enough, we will earn God's favor. If we follow this list and don't do these things, we will in and of ourselves gain acceptance of God and just have a perfect, perfect existence, right? We will have joy, we will have blessing, but that's not biblical. And these scales really don't exist. If we have a type of legalistic religion that we seek for our purpose and for our ongoing redemption, then all we will do is swing the pendulum back and forth in between self-condemnation and self-righteousness, depending on how our week has been. Then you can even ask the question right now, well, how do you, how, do, how was your walk with the Lord? Or how, how do you know that you're saved? And automatically, most people will talk about, huh? will think about what they've done this week, and oh, I don't, and that doubt creeps in, or that self-righteousness creeps in, depending upon how you've been doing this week. We will not find redemption in scale-tipping attempts at legalistic religion. So now obviously it begs the question, you know, for those of us who have believed on Jesus, well, where does this come from? Where does this ongoing redemption, this ongoing overflowing of joy really come from? I mean, I know I was saved. I was seven, and I asked Jesus into my heart, and I do believe that is when the Holy Spirit awakened me to him, and I, and I was converted. I truly believe that. But I've had a lot of things happen in between that day and this day. So maybe we misunderstand that the gospel of Jesus Christ of redemption is an ongoing work. Not the saving part, not the justification part that we are declared innocent now in God's eyes because he looks at Jesus, but ongoing in the fact that we are to be rooting ourselves deeper and deeper into the fertile soil of the gospel. And we'll see ongoing in Nehemiah that that might be kind of painful. There's going to be some confession involved. There's going to be ongoing repentance involved. There's going to be our heart laid out bare going on. It's painful. 
but God is glorified as we are sanctified more and more by sitting under the authority of his word, by coming together as a people to spur one another on, and as he continues to root out, to prune out things that are not of him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, you abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remember our study in the book of Galatians a year or two back, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, there's that word, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we're not experiencing those things, not in perfection, but in the direction of our lives, the question needs to be asked, what are we looking to for our redemption? What are we rejoicing in? If you have your Bible still handy, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll give you a second to get there. And I may touch on a few more verses, a little bit rapid fire as well. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, there's that word again, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have received that renewed relationship with God. Philippians 4.4, 4, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. If we are not daily rejoicing, if we're not experiencing that, then I would say, again, it's because we perhaps are not rooting ourselves more and more in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps we thought that it got us saved and now it's on us. The gospel was presented simply as a way to escape hell, and that's it. You do that, and then you, you be a good boy or girl the rest of your life and hope that it works out. See, Tim Keller says that the gospel is, of Jesus Christ is not just a future reward, but is actually a current status to be enjoyed. A current status to be enjoyed, to be grown in. 
deeper and deeper in the truths of Scripture. And that painful yet amazing process of conviction of sin and repentance from sin is where true worship, true ongoing worship and rejoicing does really flow. Now, some of you right now probably are sitting here saying, well, I, I never, I know I've not believed on Jesus. I know that I've never done that. I, I feel a little bit like an outsider right here right now. And that's okay. We're glad that you're here. I would say perhaps the Holy Spirit right now is, is working on you to regenerate you. You have that, that heart of stone and through the word of God, through the people of God meeting together, and through you wondering, what is going on with these people who are coming together? What, they, they act like they really believe this stuff. The Holy Spirit is turning that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing when that occurs. And I would invite you to go deeper into that, to talk with someone today about what are the true implications and the costs of being a disciple of Jesus. But most of us today, who have been justified by faith alone and grace alone, need to understand that those four areas that we seek for ongoing redemption are empty. We know we've been saved, but yet we still go to them. Why? God actually wants to, through his Holy Spirit, redeem all of those four ways as well. Ourselves, number one, that we truly get a picture of our need and understand that we are more sinful and depraved than we probably would ever care to admit, but yet we are more loved than we could ever imagine by God the Father. That's our true identity in Jesus Christ. And the others he has blessed us with in our lives, instead of setting up unrealistic expectations for those things. Instead of me looking to Laura to be my God, to be my salvation, to be all my hope and joy, and thereby ruining both of our relationships, I can come alongside her as a partner in spurring one another on in gospel truth, in growing in grace together, and understanding that both of our identities are rooted not just in being together, but solely in being children of God. The world... We can enjoy the good things that he has given us. My goodness, we just got a minivan, and after driving a Chevy Cobalt for 10 years, I think I'm driving a Lexus. And I, I, do, find, I do find joy in that, and that's okay. That's okay. But see, that's only in the proper context of not, you know, if for some reason we would have remortgaged the house and I'd be working two jobs now so that we could afford that, maybe it was not the right decision to do that. Because then I'm squandering all that time that I can be growing in the knowledge of the word of God, all that time that I can actually spend with my family, investing in those relationships God has given me. If I turn a pursuit of something good into an idol, into itself being what I'm, what I'm seeking. Romans 1.1 says that we sometimes will worship the created rather than the creator. And that's what we do with others in our lives, or that's what we do with things in the world. Maybe some of you also, when we talked about that vicious cycle of guilt, shame, and regret that comes from twisting and abusing those things in the world, 
you know, we, we pull up to the drive-thru again because the day has just been hard and whatever. I'm going to have a milkshake. I'm going to have fries and this. And I do that. There's nothing wrong with it. But if that's what we're going to, simply to numb our day, to numb our existence, to numb the fact that we do not have joy in our day, then we need to examine that. If we enjoy a good meal, perhaps a glass of wine, and then all of a sudden we're on the third or fourth or fifth glass, and all of a sudden that's no longer enjoying. That is abusing and is numbing the good gifts that God has given us. Maybe that's where some of you are at today. The gift of sex that God has given us in the proper context. A man and a woman. In the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Amen. Yes. In that proper context, we are to enjoy that. We are not to warp that. We're not to warp that. But today, I really think what Nehemiah is telling the people in this passage and what we need to think about is to, to dry our eyes, to lift up our heads, to look at God, the Redeemer, who has come down to get us. He himself has renewed that relationship with us. We need to rejoice today because Christ has bought us. He's released us from the grip of sin and Satan, and he is daily setting us free to worship and find our joy in him. Church, let's remember and rejoice in the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the gifts that you give us of ongoing conviction that the Holy Spirit roots out the things in our hearts and our minds that are not of you and spurs us on to repentance, Lord. I pray you continue to sanctify us, continue to grow us in you, Lord, continue to equip us to build each other up, Lord, and to reach out to a world that is in, in need of hearing about you, Lord Jesus. Amen.